0: tell you a story and it's a ghost story. The story is about ghosts that waited a long time to be discovered. The ghosts that I speak of are Holocaust victims. How I became acquainted with my with my many family members that were killed and a few that survived the Holocaust. I find that numbers can overwhelm and after a while lose meaning. In a weird way that's how I sometimes think of the Holocaust. When I think of these numbers in human lives I ask Is six million Jewish deaths that much more horrible than five million or 50,000 or 50 million? Continue adding all the others that died during the war and it becomes unfathomable. When I look at these pictures, I see people and I see no difference between them. Were these people doctors or lawyers, artists, or construction workers? Did they have families? This ghost story is about the ghosts of real people, not about numbers. How most became skeletons and how some escaped. Ghosts are not ghosts of numbers. They're not ghosts of statistics, they're ghosts of lives and what they stood for. In this case, they're the people that make up my family. Like many family legends, this story is based upon fact, some speculation, and even some creative imagination. These are some of my family members that were killed during the Holocaust. My aunts, my uncles, my cousins. So many members were killed that up until recently, I thought that the only members of my family that survived Were my immediate family, the Rosens. My father and grandmother died, my father and his mother died six weeks apart. When I was 27 in 1994, my paternal grandfather died well before I was born in 1954. I never heard a bad thing about him. My grandmother always wore this ring that I'm wearing now, which was his. She was a Zoftig German woman and so this this man's ring always looked right on her. Somewhere along the way, she lost her own wedding band, so she always wore this as a constant reminder. She didn't leave a will behind, but she always said that she wanted me to inherit this ring. Because of my sister, my brother, and myself, I reminded her most of her husband. So when she died, she left a small but substantial amount of cash behind that she put away, as well as some uh, uh, items that she accumulated. There was, however, a treasure trove that no one knew much about. These documents in a worn leather bag, all written in German. There were letters and official-looking documents, passports, military records. There was also this green photo album, and they concluded pictures that dated back into the 1920s. These are pictures that had been stored away. The way one one keeps letters and old uh, cards from past lovers from their youth, The letters were thrown in this old bag. There were nothing special, except for they were written by people long since dead. They were mainly people that were killed during the Holocaust in death camps, such as Auschwitz. These letters and these pictures are ghosts of relatives past. No one looked at them for at least 30 years, but they were waiting to be examined, like a genie waiting for a person to rub its lamp and set him free. The documents were intriguing, the photos were beautiful, and the letters mysterious, but written entirely in German. Since no one remaining knew who these people were or could read German, these documents became decorations, something beautiful and mysterious, written on papers, thin as onion script, and a cursive script that today would be used for the most formal of occasions. I was tasked with holding on to these documents because of my siblings, I was the most likely to research them. So these documents, a good hundred or more, were mailed from Germany to Shanghai in the early 1940s Then they traveled to the United States, where they remained in Philadelphia for over 40 years. I brought them from Philadelphia to Boulder, Colorado, where I lived at the time. Five years later, they traveled with me to La Crosse, Wisconsin, and then moved to Minneapolis for two years. And finally, still mysterious and foreign, they came with me here to Chicago. The ghosts were on the move, but they were still undiscovered. Before I move forward, I should give you a little overview of what I knew, or at least what I thought I knew, about my father's uh, side of the family, or more specifically, about my paternal grandfather's side of the family, the Rosens. My father's name was Heinz, which he Americanized uh, later to Henry when he moved to the United States, and he was born in Berlin, Germany in 1933. At the age of seven, he, my grandparents, and some of my grandparents' family, took a train through Russia and settled in the Jewish ghetto of Shanghai, China. They opened a shop in Shanghai and remained there for seven more years, and then they received permission to immigrate to the United States. My father and grandmother would sometimes talk about Germany and Shanghai, but they never sat down to give a true narrative historical account. It was part of their lives, and the loss of many, many family members was also part of it. I remember hearing about my father's cousin, Kurt, who he wanted to name me after. Much to my mother's dismay, she just never liked the name. It was too German sounding for her, spelled with a K. My father and and Kurt, they played as children, but Kurt was killed in a camp and my father never knew which one or exactly when. I guess Kurt's ghost wanted to be released through my name, but he was turned away. He remained in that black bag for many years. In 2009, though, the ghosts became restless and their fates began to change. I received a random email from a Mr. Heinz Ratty who lives in Switzerland. Mr. Ratty attempted to track down the descendants that originated in the area of Gross Tuchin, Poland. His intention was to erect a monument dedicated to those that were killed in the area during World War II. And subsequently, he reached his goal. He explained to me that he had phoned my mother from Europe and she immediately hung up on him. She had no interest in the stranger that claimed to be tracking these people down. Now, I was flattered that so many people from around the world were looking for us However, I immediately responded that I was sorry. He must have found the wrong family, since mine was from Berlin, Germany. And furthermore, there were no other Rosens from my father's line still alive, because he was an only child. Mr. Ratty was persistent, and was very sure I was who he was looking for. He began by explaining that prior to World War II, Grosstuchin was part of Germany, but was integrated into Poland post-war, when new borders were constructed. He claims that his family knew mine, back to my great-great-grandparents. He pointed me to some websites that documented my family and an ongoing search to track us down. It was at this point that I knew it was time to figure out what was in those documents. And I now had a source to help me. Little did we know what we would find, whom we would find, and what I had stored away. And that genie was soon to be released from its bottle. So the first thing I needed to do was clarify this gross touching connection so I mentioned it to my mother, along with the fact that she had hung up from a call from Europe from a man who had spent years trying to track us down. And she said she was familiar with Gross-Tüchen, and that was indeed my father's place of birth. I was able to confirm this later when I found his travel permit and my grandfather's um, passport. Grady also told me that we weren't the end of the Rosen line, and that I had a relative named Stefan Rosen that, li- that lives in Germany, and he's also been trying to track us down. It turns out that he's my third cousin one time removed, and that equates to something like his great-great-great-grandfather and my great-great-great-great-grandfather were the same. So it was a bit of a tenuous connection, but it was a start. I found out that my grandfather, Max, had six siblings, one of whom died prior to World War II. Four of the other five died during the war, either in death camps or illness, and one other that survived the war. Their, their father, my great grandfather, was named Louis. But he went by the name uh, Adolf, which was kind of ironic given what was going to happen to him. Um, and Louis had a brother named Julius. So my wife and I now joke that we used to have a limited amount of people on my father's side to name kids after. But now we have a plethora since Jews don't name their children after living relatives. These are German sounding names like Greta and Frieda and Henrietta. But now I was able to trace my family back to 1797 when my great-great-great-great-grandfather was born. As far as I know, the family lived in Germany or the Germanic lands or Poland from at least the 18th century. My family owned this inn and Tavern in Grosstuchin and they were a well-established family integrated in the community. However, on Kristallnacht, the store was looted and the family feared for their lives. Kristallnacht occurred in November of 1938. On that night, Jewish businesses were looted, synagogues were burned, and state-sponsored violence against Jews occurred throughout Germany and Austria. Kristallnacht is translated as Night," and it refers to the glass of the broken windows that was scattered on the streets afterwards. This is the tax bill and seizure notification the government levied against my family for repairs, and then when they seized my, uh, my inn, my grandfather's inn, from the government. My father was four or five at the time, and not long after, in the middle of the night, the family packed up and moved to Berlin. They gave no warning to the neighbors and community they had been part of for generations. No one knew where they were until a resident of Gross Grosstuchin ran into my grandfather while in Berlin. And as we all know, circumstances in Germany worsened for the Jews. My father was enrolled in one of the private schools for Jewish children in Berlin, And my grandfather was taken into a work camp. He was there for some months before they released him. And I don't know why he was released, but my best guess is is it was because he was a member of the German military during World War I. These are copies of his military assignments that he kept in his official book. And he was even awarded an iron cross for his service to Germany in World War I. So by now my family was desperate to get out. And since most countries no longer accepted uh, Jews, They went to one country that did allow Jews to emigrate, Shanghai, China. Some of my grandmother's family went there a little earlier, but by now, in 1940, my family would leave. Most Jews sailed to Shanghai, but some, like my family, took trains through Russia. One of the stories my father told was that he remembered, as a seven-year-old, his family went first class on the Orient Express. It was filled with champagne and anything you could imagine, but as soon as they arrived in Shanghai, they were penniless since German currency was either confiscated or worthless. I always say I find it suspect whether they were on the actual famous Orient Express, but I like that story anyway, and sometimes there's just no reason to find the truth. The Shanghai ghetto had lots of benefits, and most importantly, of course, they were out of the reach of the Nazis. Approximately 15 to 30,000 Jewish refugees settled in a small district of Shanghai, and they developed a Jewish community that thrived. It was complete with Jewish schools where children learned English. Synagogues were constructed, Jewish ritual was preserved, and events such as bar mitzvahs, weddings, and lighting Sabbath candles. But housing was tight, and houses like the one you see here housed up to 30 people. And the fact remains that for every person that escaped, thousands upon thousands were being tortured, dehumanized, and killed. So what of the family that remained in Germany? Here are their remains. These letters tell their story. There are dozens and dozens of letters addressed to my family in Shanghai and sent from those that stayed behind. They are the words and stories of people long forgotten who would be killed within a couple of years, sometimes months, of sending these letters. These letters are their words taking on a second life as I've had them translated by volunteers from all over the world. I like that they're usually translated into broken English by people from Holland and Germany and Israel because they sound the way my grandmother would have sounded. It turns out that those ghosts have people willing to speak for them. This letter was sent July 1st, 1941 from Berlin. Dear sister and brother and little Heinz, today we received your letter of June 1st and a card and I want to answer today your kind lines. In the letter was a parcel which also did arrive undamaged. We're glad to hear good news from you, especially that you are in good health and you, dear Frieda, are busy. I'm curious when this letter will arrive in your hands and how long I'll have to wait for an answer. We wait, dear Max, and with illusions of when we said goodbye. We hope to meet soon, but whether this will ever happen, I do not know. I hope he did stay in good health and had no problems, and you, dear Frida, sit at that machine all day, but I know that you like to do it when it brings in some money. I still have my work, but believe it will end soon. In the evening, I often have visitors, and I'm always happy when someone does come. My only visit is at the Ashers, and there I meet all known persons like children who always want to be informed about you. I often go to the Dietrichsons and I sit on the bank and talk about old times. How are you, you, dear little Heinz? Can you also go into the water? On Sunday, I often drive to the Grunwald, and how much I would like to have you with me. Now, my dears, do remain in good health, cordial greetings and kisses for all of you, your Julius. Many greetings from the Gross family. In a letter sent two weeks later, Their son added this. Dear aunt, dear uncle, dear Heinz, I know from your last letter that you are in good health, which is also also the case for me. Now I would like to congratulate you, dear aunt, for your approaching birthday. I wish you all the best. I suppose you are by now well installed in Shanghai. English seems to be the dominant language there. Do you already speak it quite well? My best wishes to you all, dear Heinz. I hope this year of life will bring you much joy Hoping that this letter finds you all in good health, I send you my kindest regard, your faithful nephew and cousin. These letters were sent from my father's aunt and uncle, both of which were killed in Auschwitz in 1943, along with their son, Kurt, at age 15. So my father and grandparents settled in Shanghai with members of my grandmother's family. In Shanghai, my grandmother became a seamstress and my father opened another business, or my grandfather opened the business. My father was enrolled in a Jewish school where he learned English. Meanwhile, back in Germany, things got worse. Gradually, letters to my grandparents slowed and people with such German names as Henrietta and Annalise and Heyman, they trickled in with less frequency. Most of the letters had been opened by German uh, censors with passages cut out. And it became more and more clear that these people would never reunite with my family. There were some other family members that escaped, and although anything was better than uh, the alternative of remaining in Germany, they weren't always welcome to their new surroundings with open arms. For example, one branch of my family set sail for England in 1940, but the British didn't accept these refugees. Instead, they were rerouted to a small island nation called Meridius in the southern hemisphere, where they were put in refugee camps for six years. Once the war ended, The Jews of Shanghai dispersed, and by 1956, none remained. Some returned to Germany or Poland or Russia and tried to rebuild some kind of life. Others moved to the land that would become Israel. Many countries, including the United States, forced survivors to find a sponsor that would vouch for them. My my immediate family story was a bit of a mystery, but what I uncovered astounds me. I found these documents from a Mr. Gunther Rosen from Elmhurst, uh, New York a name I had never heard of, yet he was the man that sponsored my grandparents' journey to the United States. I have a record of everything Gunther submitted to the government, bank records, affidavits, insurance policies, and other paperwork. Eventually, I came across some records and discerned that his father was brother to my great-grandmother, making him my first cousin, twice removed. This is an excerpt from Gunther's letter to the United States government. He says, as far as I know, they are my only family left and who thus had the good fortune to survive the persecution in Germany, as well as life under Japanese occupation. So it's only natural that I help and assist them, but I am doing so gladly and willingly. How happy they will be here in the United States, where at least they will have another future to look forward to, a future for their only child. Now, Gunther died long ago, but I tracked down his son Peter, who lives in Los Angeles, and sent him an email out of the blue with all these documents. He replied quickly and agreed that he was the descendant of that same Gunther. However, he had no idea who we were either, and he quickly put me in touch with his children. We remain in touch via Facebook. After seven years in Shanghai, my father and family came to the United States in 1947 aboard this ship. They landed in San Francisco and made their way to Philadelphia, where they had friends from Shanghai. In a weird way, I now know more about these ghosts than some of the people I grew up with. There are many other great stories, family members that married first cousins, an interracial marriage in the early 20th century, and even a world-renowned Italian circus performer. Who'd have guessed? A (laughs) A few years ago, my mother, sister, and I visited Shanghai, and we took a walk through the ghetto and visited the synagogue and museum that commemorates the Shanghai Jews. I've also been to Germany a few times, and each time I look at the faces of people that might be relatives, or might be related to those that killed my relatives. It's a beautiful country, and one I could return to over and over again. As for my father, he never expressed an interest in returning to Germany. In the 1980s, he'd say that he had left as a child, and he wouldn't remember anything if he did return. However, in 1988, I studied abroad in London, and my mother took this as an opportunity to travel to Europe with my father. At the travel agent's office, my mother asked him if he wanted to go to Berlin for a couple days, and he said no. But my mother didn't relent, and my father grudgingly agreed. They rented a car, and the story goes that my father navigated the streets of Berlin as if he lived there yesterday. He immediately found the house he lived in and went to the door. He never knocked. seemed just enough to be there. Who knows what ghosts might be inside. However, the next day, my father asked to go back and see the house again. But no knock this time either, just a second look. As for myself, although my father never opened the door, I have my own door, which exists in the form of this bag, these pictures, and these letters. And what I've come to realize is that they are not the ghosts of people. They are my family. Thank you.